All right, Corona podcast, second one this week. We're here with Scott Beaumont all the way from the UK. How are you doing, Scott? I'm good, Dale. How are you? Good, thanks. I think we've been trying to line line a podcast up for about a year. It either didn't work out for you or it didn't work out for me and Christmas time got a bit hectic when I was there, but perfect timing with all this Corona stuff so we can, uh, yeah, definitely have a, have a good chat, I think. Definitely, we're um, we're locked down right now, so we're uh, we just sat around, you know, sat home doing uh, not much else. So uh, yeah, it's perfect timing. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I forgot to say when we was talking earlier. How old is your daughter now? Uh, she just turned four. So is so, she um, is she into it, into bikes and that? <laughs> it's funny you should mention it. Today was the first day she rode a bike about stabilizers. So um, today's been a very big day in our household. So uh, yeah, proud dad moment and all that stuff, but. Uh, She's had a bike for ages. She's quite, you'll know this, you know, she's super independent. You know, I guess girls are a little bit more at that age, you know, pretty independent girls. And uh, uh, it's, it's been under her her sort of plan, you know. It's whenever she was ready, she was going to take them off. And today was the day. So, um, yeah, she's out on the bike and uh, loving it. But, I mean, she comes to a lot of the races. She, she travels in. She flies in some of the forecast pro tours and whatever now anyway. So she's pretty used to the races. And, uh a few of the guys there now have kids as well, so their kids turn up on balance bikes and bikes and whatever, and they just sort of play around on pump tracks and whatnot at the races. So, yeah, she's she's into it, but I prefer if she goes into golf or tennis, but we'll see what happens. Yeah, I know. Tell me about it. I saw Kelvin uh, Bailey's daughter learnt this week as well. So um... I saw that too, yeah. Um, yeah. I guess it's everyone's sat at home doing nothing else, so they're just, uh, you know, <laughs> loads of kid time. Yeah, no, absolutely. My daughter's rode a bike more. I mean, we ride it twice a day now at the point, so more than she's rode in. Yeah, she has always rode, you know, for fun and stuff. But since this uh, lockdown, we're, we're going out once or twice a day, which is great, really, you know. Nice. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's a super like, proud moment, isn't it? You know, you see the kids out there. It's, it's, uh, it's a good feeling. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Scott, a lot of history. Well, I mean, I, you know, my family and your family have been friends since the probably mid-80s when we started, you know, traveling to Europe and uh, with BMX and then you branched off and went into into the mountain bike world and we uh, we saw your little bits and pieces there when I did it and then you continue to be uh, involved in mountain biking, you know, as a racer still and, and behind the scenes. So um, I guess we'll go back to those uh, Birmingham wheels, mid-80s, right? Let's start uh, start there. Yeah, I guess, well, I guess we can start to touch before it. You mentioned about family and stuff. I mean, I was I was born in 78, um, but I should mention right from the start, just to kind of explain the, the kind of family I was born into and everything else. My dad was a professional motorcycle racer. So he did like speedway and, and grass track racing and long track in, uh, in Europe. And, uh, you know, he was really successful. He was world number two back in the day and, and you know, raced to a high level, still maintains uh, a full-time job as well so he was he was working all week <clears throat> and he was packing up you know on sort of Friday morning jumping in cars driving out to Europe and, and doing his races um so when I was born he wasn't actually there he was in Germany racing um so it's kind of I guess the writing was on the wall I was going to race something uh-huh. on form of, of something or another my mom used to uh you know co-drive in a in a, a rally car she was doing a pace in the rally cars then she raced like 50cc motorbikes as well on, on motorcycle road racing. Um, and my uncle used to be the clerk of the course at the Isle of Man TT races. Oh, and God. then he ran Oliver's Mount motorcycle road race circuit in Scarborough for like 50 years. So I was born into a very much a race family right from the get-go. And I think at about, um, 
I don't know. I guess it would be, I'd have to check my parents, but it was like four or six weeks in, you know, I was in the back of a transit van and we were going to France, you know, so I was just sat amongst, you know, fuel tins and, uh, and, and motorbikes, no seatbelt on or anything in those days and just going racing. So I was around it. I was around motorcycle racing and stuff, but I didn't like what my dad did because he just turned left. He was just going around in circles all day. Yeah. And as much as it was exciting to watch, they're doing like, they go naught to 60 quicker than Formula One cars. It was exciting, but it didn't float my boat. And obviously in the early uh, early 80s, BMX was just huge in the UK, as, as you know. And, um, you know, on the back of cereal packets, on the back of drinks, bottles, and, and the whole thing. It was, a, it was a big old sport over here. And we saw an advert in our local paper for uh, a race at Redditch, which is obviously an iconic um, UK track. And we went along... I took my stabilizer off my bike, you know, pretty early, like three years old. I was off stabilizers, riding a bike, you know, jumping, jumping around on, on you know, milk, uh, car, you know, milk crates and that kind of thing and, and planks of wood and whatever and just loving it. And went to that first race at Redditch um, and finished. I got second. So it wasn't that story of, you know, won the first race and here we are, you know. But it was uh, it was, it was awesome. Got like a, a, you know, those crappy, shiny gold trophies you used to get in races. Yeah. yeah. Tried on top. And that was it, hooked, you know, just absolutely blown away, just loved it. And, um, yeah, so then uh, that was in 82 I started, like I say, in 83, um, Birmingham Wheels uh, approached me, uh, Jan Lover, Chris Lover um, uh, approached me to, to join the Birmingham Wheels team. And obviously all this was in my, the hands of my parents, I have no idea you know, what the deal was or anything, but, uh, you know, we just said yes and, uh, you know, joined that team. And obviously, looking back, I mean, it was just so iconic, you know, what Birmingham Wheels stood for and what it was. And even now people talk about that team. It was, uh, it was pretty cool to be part of that. Um, you know, there's, there's a, a famous photo of us all sat on the, uh, on the van at the back of the van. There's yes. like Trevor Robinson and Dean Bateson and these guys and Anthony Burton. Mm -hmm. all, these, all these characters, you know, and... Uh, at the time, obviously, I had no idea. I was five years old and, and just part of this this, this thing. Yeah. Um, and I always loved to jump. I was always, like, into jumping and, and you know, sending it off whatever I could. And I, I remember the one Birmingham wheel story I've got is, is pretty vivid. That I actually broke four of those frames in one week. So they were just, like, single-butted frames for the, for the kids, the, the junior bikes. So... Um, we used to do like Coxmoor um, gate practice. We'd do Senlis Park gate practice, uh, Redditch, or there was Bromsgrove track as well. So in a week, you know, we'd done like two, three, four nights of gate practice. And we were changing the frame almost every night because we just kept breaking the first batch. So um, that, was, that was kind of Do you know who was making – was it Wilson making those frames, do you know? I can't. Remember, I guess so. Yeah, but I, what I remember was the, the kids, the, the junior frames, the small frames were all just single butted, so they just weren't very. They were just designed to roll around the tracks. Obviously, I was jumping off things and trying to jump double jumps that I was nowhere near quick enough to do, but just sort of launching off the ground and and uh, yeah. So that was that's my fondest sort of burning wheels memory that we used to just sort of annihilate the frames like in early on, and then obviously we fixed that up and and you know got going from there. Yeah, I'm sure big Trevor Robinson, he probably went through a few frames, eh? Because he was, uh, yeah, he was a big dude, you know? So, uh, definitely a, a, a great team. And like I say, you were so young, it's probably, uh, probably you know, you were in a lot of magazines. I don't know if you remember, but obviously I 
um, a little bit older than you, so I and saved all the magazines. But yeah, he was getting a lot of coverage at a super, super young age. I mean, I've got pictures of us, you know, all hanging out with our families at the '85 uh, Barcelona uh, Europeans. Again, you are just so young there, so uh, probably stuff you don't remember too much about, you know. It's really strange you say it because I do remember that was the first time we met because we were on like the campsite, I think. And, yes. Um, I remember we were just sort of riding bikes around that campsite in the night times and whatever. And um, I do, I actually remember that moment. Or even if I don't remember it, it was always passed down to me from my parents. You know, I just mm-hmm. remember that moment that when we met, you know. So, um, uh, yes, I mean, that was my first European championships. If we sort of skip on to sort of 85 and, and those times, I went to the first European championships in, like, say, in Barcelona. End up getting fifth at that race, so you know, seven year old, and you know, just getting fifth at European Championship. It's like, holy shit, you know, this is this is this is cool, you know. As a, yeah. as a kid, that was like a, a pretty good feeling, and uh, um, yeah, you know, it, it, it was good times, definitely. Who was uh, again? What kind of going through the next couple of years? Then, obviously, in England, as you already said, early eighties, it was BMX was just booming, like it kind of was everywhere, really, but. All the age groups were deep with talent, a lot of good riders. You came from a, a tough age group, Chris Hyde, you know, just Lee Bertram. I mean, you start naming some of the guys off that you battle with in the next couple of years. Yeah, so it would have been, you know, Peter Holland, uh, Chris Stanforth, um, you know, like you said, Lee Bertram, um, uh, Chris Hyde, obviously, as we got going. A bit later on, Martin Murray. Uh, I think, you know, the UK, everyone always talks about how tough their age group was. Um, but... Yeah, ours, ours was certainly the same. You know, ours was a very tough age group. And, it, you know, to, to just make a final at Nationals was was actually huge. You know, it wasn't – it was it was no easy feat to make any final. It was uh, it was tough all along, in, you know, in, in whichever um, association you're racing and all that stuff back then. So it was uh, – yeah, it was tough. But I would say, you know, certainly the ones that stand out, Lee Bertram, Peter Holland, Chris uh, Stanforth, Chris Hyde, uh, these are the guys that always stand out in my mind as, as UK riders who are really, you know, up there in our in our age group, definitely. Yeah, like I say, you, your your age group was like my age group. The guys that you'd battle with in in England, like you get to the European finals later on in that summer, it's like, oh, it's the same guys again. I got to try and beat, you know, it's the British guys, you know, or obviously always a good sprinkle of French and Dutch. Uh, but you'd always kind of take your competition to to the European final as well. And I think it was the same for you guys as well, wasn't it? Absolutely was, yeah, totally. It was, it was uh, uh, which was good because it took the pressure off of those those international races. You know, we were always, uh, you know, it, the fact we were on on tracks that might be slightly more technical, slightly bigger jumps, all that kind of thing. But in a whole, we were in the pens, and we were, in, we were, you know, our friends, you know, those kind of ages, we're just with our mates. So it was, it was, it was good times. That you know, it wasn't. Uh, there was no pressure involved because you were just hanging out at a race with, with guys you raced every week. So it made, you know, the European and World Championship races and those international races at sort of Slaghar and uh, and all those kind of things, you know, way easier. Yeah. So one was, uh, again, I know you made mains in Norway Worlds, which was probably 1991. And obviously we'll talk a little bit about Colombia moving forward, but, but, but let's kind of stick just a little bit before that. Uh, when was your first big title or, you know, some of those big European finals? A couple, yeah, any, any stories from any of that stuff that uh, everybody would like to listen to, maybe? Well, I guess um, uh, the, the first date that sticks in my mind would be Farnham uh, National in 1987. That was the first national win that I had. Um, I was riding for Robinson uh, back then. After Birmingham Wheels, I moved on to Robinson team. Uh, again, a, a, a real sort of powerhouse team of, of UK BMX. And um, 
yeah, that, that first national win was amazing. I went from previously to that, I went from winning kind of motos and, and quarters and making finals and everything else to obviously winning the semifinals and finals. And even though I was on Birmingham Wheels and, and Robinson back in the days, you know, we're winning some stuff here and there, but obviously at Farnham, that was the one that clicked that was like, okay, then we started winning more races. So from now on, I went to like Slag Hohen in, um, in 88. And I got second on the, uh, on the podium behind, uh, what was his name? Uh, Mark De Bruin. Oh, tall guy. Yeah, yeah. Like he had a, you know, full mustache at like 10 years old yeah, or whatever. Yeah, super he tall. Just massive. And, um, so yeah, so that was, that was probably my first international race that I vividly remember that, you know, apart from obviously, like I say, Barcelona, fifth and, uh, a few other sort of, you know, those, those sort of St. Etienne's and those sort of things back in the day and whatever. Slagharen was, you know, a super tough track. And all of a sudden, you know, after winning that first national and then winning some more nationals after that, going to Slagharen that following year, it all seemed to fall in place and get better. Like I was just, you know, I was going to make the finals. I felt confident most international races I'd make the finals from that point. And then I was up there fighting with Mark Bruin. Like I said, I was half his size and I was just some skinny. I was a, you know, my legs turned pretty quick, but I was a pretty skinny, lean kid, you know. So, um you know, it took a couple of years to get the better of that guy because he was just so powerful. Yeah, no, totally. I'm a big, tall guy. Um, yeah. Then we went to, like I say, the world would have been, I think, France in 90, which was won by Chris Hyde. But you was right there as well, right? When you're like top two or three? Yeah, so uh, France World Championship, uh, again, there's a couple of these, mo- you're picking them out. I mean, it's, it's exactly, you know, what I was sort of thinking before this interview. But, you know, France Paul Ricard was... Um, uh, the probably the international probably turning point for me in terms of world championships. So I finished fifth at that race. Um, I rode good all day. Uh, was winning, you know, motos and quarters and, and doing, you know, good all day. But in the semi-final, made a couple of mistakes and whatever, and just scraped into the final. As did Chris Hyde. And so we were on gate seven and eight. And um, he just made a better gate than me. And that's simple as that. And he got across and went on to win that race. And, uh, yeah, it, it, it was just like, oh, you know, I knew I was that, – that moment was I knew I was quick enough to be world champion. And that was where it was like, okay, we can figure this out, you know. Even as a, you know, as, as a young kid at that point, it was like a, a moment of, you know, this guy who we go back and forwards with in the UK just, just won the ultimate prize. And, uh, um, yeah, you know, I felt that it was then achievable. You know, there was a, a focus point then of, like, we can do this. Yeah, and then obviously the next year was Norway, and I think you you had a couple of thirds and fourths there, right, with uh, Anthony Reyes, right, who was over from the US. Yeah, so I mean that was that was an amazing race. Um, you know, a huge crowd, Eurosport TV, um, probably the start of like the, the tougher tracks, the, the bigger jumps, bigger corners, higher speeds. Uh, you know, using sort of bricks in the corners and that kind of style started to come in at that point and um i was loving it like i say from a young age i was into jumping and and you know sending it a bit more so um i was really into it and uh on the 20 inch you know i remember seeing the usa riders so it was it was anthony rays um uh Corey murph finished second and eric cunningham okay. uh was in there as well and cunningham was just he was massive like he was just built you know and uh again i was still pretty skinny at this point and uh um, on Cruiser, yeah, it was uh, uh, Ray's. I think he doubled in Norway. I think he, I think he yes, won Cruiser in 120. Yeah, 
So Murphin and Cunningham, I got fourth. And on 20-inch, I got ahead of Cunningham, so I finished third. Okay. Um, and that was, you know, a pretty huge achievement. You know, getting ahead of these USA guys, being all these sort of European guys I, I raced with all up until that point. But, uh, you know, mixing it with USA guys, it seemed like the that was the first year that we, we'd sort of discovered USA riders, you know, in my age group anyway. In France, there weren't so many there. Even before that, you know, going right back to Slough when I was just like a, a, a real young kid, you know, I don't remember being Americans being at those races. But yet, Norway was like, right, there's, there's three guys here and they're really, they're really good. You know, and these are, this is like next level riders, you know. Yeah. So split those up on a 20 inch, really cool. I, I, you know, it was a good feeling, definitely. And uh, um, certainly won the European race within that race, you know, and uh, mixed it with Americans. So it was a good one. Definitely good world championships, you know. I think still spoke about now when you watch the video, like I say, it's just a good, and then obviously the track's still there, and I know uh, Ken Mayland and uh, all them guys are still yeah, out there yeah. riding and, and doing stuff, so it's cool that, uh, yeah, it's still a, still, yeah, it was a good world championships, and that, like, it's always disappointing when you see world championships and then they plow the tracks down or they're overgrown. Uh, but to see that they had the worlds in 91 in, um, in Norway, and it's uh, yeah, the track's still still going today. So props to them. Uh, maybe take us through the next couple of years, Scott, and then we can maybe stop and pause and talk a little bit about when the national team started, and then, you know when we all went to Colombia and stuff. That probably yeah, be a cool. cool little story as well, you know. So maybe take us up to that. Yeah, so I think you know the the problem we all of a sudden I was getting you know winning domestically. The sort of early nineties years, I was starting to win those nationals consistently and and, and get on top of it. Internationals, I was clearly quick enough, you know, I was at the, the sort of final level every time and, and mixing it up there again with those Americans in Norway and stuff. So it's like, we're quick, but at that point, you know, my family didn't have enough money. So we weren't actually going to all the races. So if you look through my history, it's, it's like 92, you know, we didn't go to those world championships. So we just couldn't afford it. It was simple as that. And um, uh, so, yeah, we had to skip forward to, uh, to 93. And unfortunately, I got glandular fever three weeks before the World Championships in Holland, um, in Skynil there. <clears throat> and um, I was I was sick as a dog, to be honest. I, it, was, it was strange. When I got glandular fever, before then, you remember at Nationals, you know, we used to just ride the track until like 10 p.m. on Saturday nights and then just get up and do, you just rode all weekend. There was no sort of like, you know, half an hour practice and that was it. You know, we just seemed to ride all weekend. But after I had a glandular fever, I never had that same energy. So I was, it was it really knocked me for six, and um, uh, I remember there were like pre world races. There was, a, there was a track just maybe a mile away from the, from the World Championships track, and and I just didn't have the energy. I couldn't even race that race, you know. So <clears throat> we started practice, and um, I did a couple of laps, and it was feeling pretty good. And I jumped that big first uh, double jump, um, and the wind. I guess the wind caught me or something, but I completely lost the bike like the bike just went from underneath me i was on like inch and three eighth wheels at that point so um it you know I, I don't know what happened but i completely lost it on that first jump crashed out over to hospital in ambulance and um my knee was completely wide open it was a it was a mess to be honest and uh they used i remember this day they used like some acid kind of stuff to burn all the dirt and stuff out of my knee. Yeah. And it was it was the craziest stuff ever. And they said they don't use that stuff in the UK. It was like just a Dutch special. And um, <laughs> so yeah, it, it was good because it got me back on the track. And I guess in hindsight, you know, that crash actually probably made me focus more on you know my knee probably than having glandular fever. So rode pretty good. 
um, made the final again. Uh, in the semi-final, I came from last. I hit the gate, and I came from dead last. I got through to a squeaked fourth on the finish line, so I did a big comeback, um, got fourth, and then in the final, got seventh. So, you know, that was one where just making the final was was a result because I, you know, I've been told that I was just walking around. I was just too tired. I was just tired all the time and knackered and um, it was what it was that race. So, but it, it was another final. Um, then 94, we went to USA for uh, the Worlds in uh, uh, Detroit. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I guess that was a eye opener. Again, I, I remember staying in the, in the hotel, a Motel 6 just down from the track. And uh, there was a U-Haul van next to us. And I just remember the police officer one morning just surrounding this van and it was just full of drugs it was just like okay <laughs> this is this isn't sort of uh riding at redditch anymore you know this is this is like hardcore you know so um so i remember that memory but the track was awesome i you know and um but again i just didn't it, it didn't quite go right now so i went out in the semi-finals um on 20 inch and when I went out on quarters on cruiser, the cruiser was I was 15, 16, and I was just too small. I was 15 year old back then. Yeah, that's tough then. Yeah, but I didn't have what the 16 year olds had in that class, and I was just just beaten. There was no, there was no doubt. It wasn't, you know, I wasn't going to get anywhere in cruiser. So semi final on 20 inch was okay. Um, that's when I sort of started riding for Hawk as well. So that was a pretty cool time. So I met the Hawk guys over there, and uh, they were really. You know they were really good to me over those couple of years. So that was that was pretty cool. Um, but yeah, it wasn't a great world to look back on. It was an eye opener. Uh, up until that point, I mean, I wasn't. I didn't really train. I was just riding my bike. Mm-hmm. Like I wasn't doing anything other than just going to a track, riding a track, riding outside my house. That was it. There was no structure to anything. I was just sort of playing on my bike all the time. So I think that was probably the eye opener that was like, okay, we need to probably think about this a little bit more and, and figure out how we get a bit quicker here so I relied on I guess well not talent but my legs turned pretty quick at that point you know that wasn't going to be enough going forward so yeah which is when 95 came along and obviously we had the the GB team started and things started to get a bit more serious yeah and absolutely that was uh, so the GB team it was the first official um, national team which was uh, yourself Uh, Vicky Overson was still junior women right that's right, yeah, yeah. And then it was uh, myself, Dylan Clayton, uh, Jamie Stepp. That was it, right? Five of us. Quite a team. Yeah, <laughs> and I think Bill Bags, back and Bill all of our history from where we were at that point. I mean, at the time, we, I guess we all just went. But, you know, you look back and you think that was, that was pretty, uh, a pretty solid team we took over there. Yeah, no, we did. And obviously, uh, myself, Jamie, Dylan all made the elite final. I think Vicky Overson uh, became fourth. And then, uh, obviously, you... You won, so tell us a little bit about the guys you raced and your whole uh, yeah weekend in uh, Colombia because it was really was a, a fantastic. Me and Matt Polkamp, uh, maybe not Polkamp. I know I've just talked about it on one of the further on one of the last few podcasts, and uh, it was just a uh, yeah great great place, great world championships, and uh, yeah, tell us about your experience of becoming world champ. It was just crazy. That was the time when I guess it was like the first junior men started. So. Um... Yeah, we, we had a you know a national team, and uh, I remember being told, you know, Cynthia um, uh, Murray, Edgeworth now, Murray at the time, uh, she told me, uh, I guess it was at Farnham maybe, Farnham Nationals, maybe Bournemouth, or I can't, I can't exactly remember, but I remember she told us, and I couldn't believe what I was hearing, that it was like, what, you're going you're gonna to pay for us to go to Columbia to race, and we're part of this GB, I just couldn't believe what I was hearing, I thought it was like, 
you know, like winning a lottery almost. It was like a real, like, this is cool. You know, this is like what I want to be a part of, you know. Um, and I remember, I just, <laughs> there's so many stories from that whole trip. It's it's etched in my mind forever. But, you know, we, we sort of, last place we saw was London Heathrow. And uh, first of all, there I am on a, on a flight with, with you guys. You know, I think me and Vicky were just like, you know, little kids and, and surrounded by, you know, <laughs> superheroes of the sport. And we're just like on this plane, like heading to Colombia on our own. And it's like, this is pretty surreal stuff. And then the next place we saw was Bogota. And I don't, do you remember we got out of the airport and there was like police cars and whatever for mm-hmm. us. And they took our box in armored cars and we had a yeah. full police all the way there. Yeah. It's just, yeah. The last place we saw was Heathrow. And he was like, what the hell is this? And, um, I remember getting there, we were, we were sat in the, there was like a, a balcony, like a terrace, uh, I guess like a lobby area. And you could see, it was all wide open to see out into the, the hillside. I, I was sat there one night with, um, with Dylan and Jamie and like a helicopter just crashed into the hillside opposite. Like, wow. just, just came like, you know, boom, like this big ball of flames. Like what the hell, what, this is just, you know, bonkers. So that, that was some of the, the, the crazy memories uh, of that place. I remember we cut in some bread rolls and it was like full of ants at dinner. Do you remember that? Yes, I, I do remember that. Yes, I, I totally remember that one. Yeah. I feel like it, Dylan's bread roll or something. Everyone was just chatting, cut open bread roll, and there's just ants just crawling over the table. Just, <laughs> anyway. So <laughs> that's some background, a trip I'll never forget. But um, uh, yeah, loved the track. It was a different shape. The whole layout, the design, the shape of it was was cool and different, um, different sort of style corners. It, it was, you know, it wasn't like a U and a U. It was kind of like flowed around like a snake a bit more. So that was just different and um you know again rode good all day felt felt relaxed all day i don't know how you felt about it. i don't know just it was a whole different environment i didn't know really know how to sort of cope with it probably looking back um so just took it all in my stride um but the one thing that i'll never forget before the final i think i had i was in the middle i think i was in like gate five four five i think i was in five um and we were queued up behind the start, and someone in the elite, one of the USA guys in the elite race, uh, he shouts over to Andy Contest, and he said, uh, you've got this easy. <laughs> I just like, made this comment, and I just remember thinking, no, you haven't. Right, right. Like, that, not today, sunshine. It's just, I don't know, just, it, it was the timing was perfect. Like, this mm-hmm. guy, I mean, he wouldn't have a clue, you know, he's just like, hey, buddy, you got this, you know, right. and... Uh, again, I'd been at that point. I was just wet behind the ears, you know. I hadn't, I hadn't sort of travelled the world too much or whatever, and I hadn't heard sort of language like that before. That was just you know USA speak, but I hadn't really heard it before. And it was just being, you know, a buddy, you know, just yeah, go, you got this, you know. And I was just like, hang on, no, no, we've still got a race yet, you know. Mm-hmm. This isn't over yet. And so I just that just got me right into the right place just at the right time. Uh, made a decent gate, and we all kind of bumped on the first straight. And after the bumping, all of a sudden, found myself out front and rode a, a, a just a solid lap, like totally, you know, a, a nice lap, no no mistakes, no problem. Came across the finish line, and all hell broke loose. You know, uh, Bill Baggs, Cynthia Murray, um, yeah, Carol, uh, just came jumping over onto me. Just couldn't believe. I mean, it, it's one of those things about being in the zone and that kind of stuff you know it just sort of happened I didn't even Mm -hmm. consider anything that really went on in that race it just 
you know, I had those comments at the start, got a good gate, rode around the track, won the race. And it was just as simple as that in my mind. It, it, there was no stress to any of it. And um, I'm sure watching the video back, you know, I'm sure I'm sketchy as hell in rearing every jump and the whole thing. But it, it felt calm on the bike. And, uh, yeah, just, you know, threw the bike at the finish. Um, it was just – it was awesome. It was just obviously one of the best moments of my life. It was, uh, you know, obviously it's changed my life since then so much as well. But it was uh, it was quite a trip, that's for sure. Yeah, now, and you know, it was, it was me and Thomas Alley that was talking about it a couple of weeks ago. And uh, – and we got a couple of messages actually from a few Colombian people because we spoke about it who were there racing as well. And yeah, I just want to say it again. It was a fantastic week. It was like, say, just it was eye opening for all of us, but we had so much fun. And South American Absolutely. people are always fun. And, and I don't, again, I don't remember if you remember, you were still young. You know, we all partied that night after the race and everyone's dancing. And it was just a, just a, and to say, everybody was staying in that one complex. So all the races and everything, it was a big presentation. Um, yeah. in, in the complex that night. It was just a fun, just everything was fun about it. You know, I went back um, many years later in the, actually probably like mid 2000s, I think was the next time I went back. But uh, yeah, it seemed like it changed a lot anyway. And um, it's like a mini Disneyland, it? it's like a mini Disneyland. We were like sleeping on this compound. And I remember being told, don't you leave. know, don't leave the compound, yeah. stay in here. Um, but it was just like, yeah, it's almost like, did that happen? It was just so good, wasn't it? Everything was just fun, relaxed. It was just different. It felt like a different event. And, yes, uh, absolutely. I it was very fun. Like I said, the presentation, the party afterwards, it was great. It was just awesome. Really good. Yeah, no, absolutely. So then we all went back, and you turned super class during that period, right? Or was it the next following year, right? 96, you turned? Well, you won't remember this, but it was you that turned me to super class. So <laughs> it was actually in 95 um, was the first year I, I, I had a go at pro because in 94 at um, – where were the British champs in 94? Um, Bournemouth. Bournemouth. Yeah. Bournemouth. I won that race. Like, I, you know, I was going to say pretty easily, but that's, that's just disrespectful. But I, I, I had a really good race, won that race by like half the last straight. And you said to me there, you need to go pro. Mm -hmm. And it sunk in because nationally, I'd sat on the gate, win the race. Yeah. But internationally, we'd bang bars and I was getting a bit lost. And that's what happened in like the world in, uh, in Detroit and that kind of thing. I was just getting battered around by these bigger guys. Mm -hmm. And uh, you said to me, you need to go elite. And so I, I went to elite at the start of 95 and, you know, Trying to <laughs> trying to race against like Flem Dog, mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> me next to Flem in the gate is the funniest thing you ever saw at that, at that time, you know. And uh, you know, obviously, you guys were like long gone, but I was bumping with like Down O'Neill and, and Flem Dog and and those guys, and uh, that's what really set me in good stead for going forward to that point because it's like I got in there early and and uh, got battered, to be honest. Mm. But when I went to international races, felt so much more confident. Yeah, it looks uh, like it would have, would have been good for you. Like, say you was young, and obviously you know all the English pros. Everyone was very vocal in a, in a friendly way, but it was definitely a lot of trash talking between everybody. And you had a lot of, lot of you know, just on top of, you know, myself, Dylan, Jamie, you know, Neil was already kind of gone in the US. But then you still got a lot of fast people, Darren Reedy, you know, Flemdog, O'Neill, you know, um, I think Tom Lynch had probably gone by the time you got in there. But it was still a, it was, it was a deep class. And for you to, to get in there, it was great, great for you for the next couple of years to be in the middle of all that, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, I was 16 and, and just 
out of my depth, to be honest, but making it work. And uh, so I was making, I think I made most of the finals in 95. And, and uh, uh, you know, it's something to be proud of, definitely. Like I say, that was the golden era of, of UK, of elite, uh, elite racing, I think. But that was just, mm-hmm. you know, to have you, Dylan and, and Jamie just, you know, there who were like, you know, world number one, two, three as well, essentially. You know, it's just like, this is, uh, this is good stuff, you know. There's no better training for me than, than what I'm doing here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, yeah, you know, I got a few good results, but obviously, that the, the culminated in me winning world championships. And I think it all, you know, came down to the, that sequence of events. You know, you tell me to go elite, banging bars in '95, and then going, you know, getting on that GB team and, and going to worlds and just feeling, I don't know, stronger in myself. Like, you know, you lined up again then with 17 year olds, and uh, I was ready. Yeah, that, yeah, absolutely. And obviously we'll go into to ninety six. Worlds were in Brighton, we all knew that, so we all you know, it's a big focus for all of us. Um so maybe talk us a little bit about yeah, your ninety six uh, going into Brighton and the weekend for you. I should probably mention this this was the point where I just started looking at mountain bikes as well. So I should probably just drop that in there. This was the Okay, that's that, what I was yeah, I was just trying to work that when I was making a couple yeah. of notes, I was trying to think where you kinda of got into that. Yeah, so in 96, um, I was offered a ride for Kona mountain bikes, and I'd never ridden a mountain bike before in my life. I had no massive interest in it, but I was really aware, as we all were, I was aware that what Dave Cullinan was doing, I was aware of Mike King, Brian Lopes, Eric Carter. I, I was aware of what was going, you know, these guys were going and, and winning these races. I wasn't really interested in it, wasn't bothered by it, but we were just aware, and um after winning Worlds, it was a time when UK, I mean, you, you remember this time, but UK companies were looking for BMX riders. Yeah. And I think EU, obviously Dylan was on Sun, so he kind of got that deal as part of his thing anyway. But mm-hmm. you know, I think those guys, we were like, yeah, yeah, we'll give that a go, you know. And it, it kind of came to us, you know, just as where we were in our sport. So it was definitely timing. And, uh, yes, yeah, so I was offered a ride in, uh, for Kona at the start of 96. Um, and I actually won the first downhill national of that year as well. So I was doing both uh, BMX and mountain bikes in '96, and yeah, I won that first downhill national. And just thought, okay, well this is this is easy. And then went to the second one and got like 20 off in juniors. So it was like the style of track was more. I think that first national, I don't think you did it, but it was like a minute and 20 long. It was really short. Was it short. Where I, I didn't go to the, I remember going to just a couple of little races and stuff. Uh, I didn't yeah. do that one because it fell, I think, alongside Derby, but I think Jamie okay. did really good there, right? Yeah, that's, yeah. I, I remember a few of us going. Jamie, Jamie, Jamie was going, I don't know if you remember, but Jamie got on Park Pre straight away. That's right. That's it. I can't remember. It was part three. That was right. Yeah, yeah. And he won a couple. He won the one of the dual descender. I, I'm going off track a little bit. You know, they used to have that dual descender down in Penzers, was it? That's the one. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, exactly. He won yeah. that. And then this race yeah, you're talking about, he did really good there as well. I, I, God knows why I remember that. I just do anyway. But yeah. Yeah, so that was that was the start of 96. So I had this deal off current. It was just like bikes, a bonus scheme, some photo bonus, whatever. Um, so that was just started out. So I just dropped that in there. So that was the start of '96. But yeah, obviously the focus that year was was Brighton Worlds. Um, I had the number one plate. I was in junior men still, and it was it was all in, wasn't it? I think all of us were exactly the same. I think mm-hmm. anyone in that era who was anywhere near making international finals was just all in from the GB team. It was uh, uh, everything we had to, to win that race, and um, uh, the week. Going for me, great at Brighton. I, uh, yeah, we had cruise on Friday, 
And uh, it's funny, uh, Carmine Falco just shared a video last night. So I've, it's the first time I've seen it since. Yeah. I haven't actually seen uh, any footage of that race, you know, since it happened. Um, so I made a good gate and uh, sat, got into second on the first turn. I was on gate seven. Um, so I got, did pretty well to get across to second in the first turn. And Carmine was sort of gone. He had like two or three writings lead. And I seemed to chip into his lead to get to his back wheel by the last corner. Um, and luckily for me, you know, he crashed in the last turn. He washed out his front wheel. Um, I, again, it was like an autopilot thing. Uh, I was so close to him. All of a sudden, I just went by him. It was like a blink of an eye, and I was leading. Um, ended up winning that race. And it's obviously not the way anyone wants to win a world, but I'll take it all day long. It doesn't. I don't really care too much how it goes down, you know. A win's One a win. doesn't matter how you get it. Right time, right place. Um, and, you know, as the years have gone by in my career, I've certainly learned that there's no luck in making a world's final. You make a world's final, anyone in that gate can win it. It doesn't matter how it happens. It's Everyone's worthy. So um, at the time, I was a bit like, it's not exactly, didn't feel perfect, but it, it, was, a, it was a win. And obviously, the last race I've done was Columbia, uh, where I'd won. Now, I won Cruiser at Brighton. It was like we were on a roll. It just felt really good. Um, I remember... That night, we went. There was like a, we were camping on site, and there was a, a marquee and Flemdog. I don't know how, but I ended up with a, a, a bottle of champagne in my hands, and uh, <laughs> we were going to drink it. Uh, you know, my parents and my family, everyone was there, and friends and whatever. And, and obviously, Flemdog, this massive, massive arm and hand just reached in and just started shaking this bottle, and it just went everywhere. So. If I got you wet on that night, I apologize. <laughs> it was just one of those things, but it was, uh, you know, I guess the first sort of celebration of winning I'd ever had. You know, I've never shook a bottle of champagne before. I'm just like, oh shit, you know. I was, um, I, I don't know. I was quite a geeky kid, you know. I was from. We lived out in the countryside. I wasn't, you know. I looked up to you guys, and and uh, you know, I listened to your your podcast like Paul Roberts and. Um, you know, like I said, mentioned Flemdon yourself and all these guys, and I, I was just—I felt starting my debt for you guys. I was like, I, I didn't—I'd love to have fit in, but I didn't fit in quite. I was—I was, you know, so like when Flem was like shaking the champagne, I'm just laughing my head off and not really aware of you know <laughs> anyone getting soaking wet or anything. But it was a fun night anyway. It was good. Yeah. So, um, oh, you were so—you you know, Kelvin probably relates to it as well. You know, and and I did when I first kind of came in at the same age, you know, when I, I turned into Superclass, which is, you know, Pro Elite, whatever, you know, it was called at the time, I think it was a good uh, good foundation for you. And it, it kind of probably toughened you a little bit as well, didn't it, being around all that? Because, I mean, just being around Rob Indry, another another name, just being oh, the no, vocal absolutely. just the vocal side of being around that group and, and then yeah. obviously in there battling was probably great foundation for you, you know? Yeah, and you guys were all, you know, great. So, um, you know, there's times I said the wrong things, probably times I did the wrong but I was just almost like just a kid, you know. Yeah, and, yeah. and uh, wow, you really you know, yeah. like, like Rob Indry and those guys, and you just haven't got anything to say, Winnie and all that. Like, you know, right, Winnie. Trying yeah. to fit in, and, but you're just not on the same level, you know, and it was, it was, uh, it was, it was funny times. Anyway. Like I said, I vividly remember that, that champagne spraying moment. It was uh, right. uh, <laughs> a, strange, a strange thing for me, but I was just like, you know, almost like just part of it, just for a moment, and that split second, you know. So anyway, so yeah, we, you know, had a Saturday off, and then we had our junior and elite race on uh, on Sunday. And um, uh, I don't know, it's, uh, it's a tough one to talk about, really. It's, uh, it's always bugged me. 
Um, rode good all day, had number one play on my bike, wanted more than anything to defend that title or at least put myself in in the final and give myself some sort of shot at this. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, again, Carmen, bless him, you know, he's just shared all his videos this week. I've just seen it from a different angle for the first time in, in years. Yeah, me too, yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I won... You know, my my mind's a bit hazy on on you know. I know you guys are you and especially Paul. I know you guys are super statos and all the results and all the stuff. But I'm a bit hazy on exactly how it went from that day. But I know I was in I was in touch. I was definitely on pace and feeling good. Like we were we were in touching distance of something happening, at least a podium. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, made it to the semi final. Uh, was out on the outside and uh, uh, gate seven, I think six or seven. I can't remember from the film watch, but six or seven, I think. Maybe made a, a really good gate. You can see on the video, like a really good gate. Strong. I'm, I'm certainly you know level with the leader, if not leading it. I've I've made a good snap, and on my second pedal, obviously we're all on flat pedals back then. Um, my pedal rolled. I, I just suffer this a few, a couple of times a year when the pedal would just flip under you. You didn't slip the pedal, but it's flipped underneath. Yes. And I mean, it flipped onto my heel, and I just completely slipped off the front. Um, and I was you know, half a straight behind these guys. I was like slipped on to the crossbar, got back up, got going. Um, and ended up finishing seventh, I think, in that in that semi-final, sixth or seventh, but caught back up to them. I was, you know, you could see them. They were just in front of me. You know, fourth was just there. Mm-hmm. But uh, it just got away from me. And uh, uh, it is what it is. You can't win them all. And, you know, worst things happen at sea. It's just a bike race. But I remember at the time being just gutted. Like, yeah. wow. it wasn't a... Tr- reflection but then you know i had a good luck on friday so it all comes around you know karma and that kind of stuff works out yeah i think you can say you still walked away with two world titles in you know a years a year is uh still pretty cool Absolutely. and like I say that kind of kick-started into your your kind of next career so maybe you want to talk about more moving into the mountain bike stuff along i know you continued to, to race bmx alongside that um but yeah let's talk about maybe those next couple of years well, after after Brighton, um, I only did uh, uh, one more uh, BMX race, which was um, uh, Slough uh, British Championships. Okay. So uh, that was my final elite race. I won uh, Cruiser British Championships that that weekend, which was which was cool. And I finished fourth in elite men final when we had like three finals as well. Yeah. So um, that's something I'm you know almost as proud of as the world championships you know it's i think you and jamie and rebs were ahead of it, uh, anti-revel no dylan uh, actually got, dylan dylan actually i think dylan won dylan. i got second uh revel third so you you fourth i slipped into fourth so that was you know that was a good day there was no doubt about it that was a that was a, a good day and kind of I guess it was a, a little inkling into where where i you know could have headed if i'd stuck with it into my 20s and whatever but um, the temptation of mountain bike uh, was just there. There was no Olympics in BMX, anything like that. Was, I just had these uh, these moments that came along just at those times. So after Brighton, we uh, Monday morning I flew out to the European Downhill Championships in Italy, and uh, so we went straight to Heathrow Airport, flew straight to Italy, uh, got out there, and um, Helen Mortimer and Kerry Basin, uh, two of the, the female elite riders from back then. Uh, kind of just took me in their wing a little bit and they were really helped me out this time just find my feet in mountain bikes find my feet in downhill let me know what how to where you know where you sign on all these kind of just little 
intricacies of, of the sport and they were really helpful and they said they I could stay with them uh, at this European Championship so you know had the bike packed at Brighton jumped on a plane flew out there little did I know they were in the GB uh, hotel and, and it was elite riders only and um, I'm not even sure they knew that I didn't know that but I stayed there for one night and the next day I got kicked out it's like <laughs> you're not in this hotel true <laughs> True colours started to sort of like come out of, of how this thing works, you know. Um, and uh, so I remember uh, a lady called uh, Petra Wiltshire, uh, she was the same. She got kicked out as well. So there we were, you know, I'm just, again, 18 years old, you know, didn't have a – couldn't get a car rental or anything back then or whatever. And so we're just there. So we got dropped off at the track. Kerry and, and Helen took us to the track. And we ended up sleeping in the animal um, team truck. Um, on just like camp beds, just like out open air camping basically for the whole week. And I remember that was one of the moments where it was like, this sports, this is cool. This is like so different. I, you know, we'd done BMX for years. We just camped on site and whatever. So I was used to camping on, at the race. But this race was sponsored by Diesel Jeans. And all of a sudden there were like these massive parties every night. There were like fireworks going off every night. There was like these, this whole song and dance around this event. And then on race day, there were like helicopters with cameras on them, uh, TV, big screens, things like, it, it was just so different to BMX was back then. And uh, I remember it really opened my, opened my eyes. I was like, just just into it, you know? And uh, uh, so that was the first international race I did on, on downhill. Uh, it didn't go so well. Like I said, I got onto the team because I won that first downhill national of 96. So that qualified me onto the junior men's team uh, for that race. Um, and yeah, so that, that was, that was where that started. And then, um, 97 went full-time, uh, pro mountain bike. I did the, uh, bike show, which was down in, uh, Olympia, I think it was maybe. And you used to have those, those real corny, um, like jump competitions or whatever. It just built like a kick around for who can jump a furthest or anything like that, or whatever. It was at the time of that dirt film coming out and, Everyone was just doing like endos or bunny hop or whatever. It's just that was mountain bike. And I had this kicker ramp, and uh, I was on my Kona. And I think I, I like jumped the furthest or some whatever. I think you know, I was some, there, you know. I think I got a picture like with jeans on and a GT shirt indoors at a, at a show. Um, I think you, I think I was there like Steve Gill type people were there as well, right? Yeah, and we had like the page three girls. Like, right, like, right. Some newspaper brought like topless women. So it was just like. Long jump comp, wasn't it? <laughs> what the hell is this? Right. It's just, you know, and again, I was just a kid. You know, yeah. I was just like, this is bonkers. Like, I'm into this sport. This is just like weird and different and, you know, whatever. Um, and the boss of Kona UK was there and he literally on the spot said, I'll pay you, um, I think it was eight thousand pounds a year. I'll give you some expenses. I want you to do pro mountain bike, and I was just like, you know, ninety six, eight grand. I lived with my parents at the time. All my expenses paid. I was just like, done. Yeah, yeah, it's a good deal. <laughs> deal. You know, I was just like, well, yeah. You know, I guess some people are taking that nowadays. I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's, um, it was all right, and uh, we made it work, and uh, so that was the start of it. So. My first World Cup race, I went to Nevergal in Italy, which is like renowned as being the rockiest, hardest track. Didn't qualify on downhill. They were doing dual slalom races as well at that time. Just uh, almost like um, uh, just fun. Well, it wasn't fun. I guess it was diesel sponsored still, but it, was, it wasn't it was a World Cup. It was like an a exhibition race. Mm-hmm. 
So uh, didn't qualify in a downhill. Looking back, there was no way I was probably going to qualify a downhill. Like I was nowhere near ready to do that. Uh, it was just crazy tracks, and uh, my bike was you know falling apart every run. And you know they had these massive forty foot big rig trucks there for all the top riders, and we just didn't have the support, and we we were just out of our depth totally. But did the slalom and raced against Cedric Gracia, uh, who I'd raced. He was in my age group in BMX. So he, I raced him at the 1990 Worlds, um, 91 Worlds. He was he was in my class. So that was it was a friendly face, and uh, I did this slalom race. It was good to sort of know someone I was, you know, at this race, which was cool. I was obviously known for a lot of years. And I raced him in the first – I kind of qualified like, I don't know, 20s, like down the order or something. But I raced Cedric in the first round. And do you remember when, again, back in these days, I'm sure you do remember, like you used to put those big ski poles in the ground. Yes. Like, like six foot tall. So I was going around those thinking, okay, I'm feeling pretty good. I've got, it's a grass field, some corners. I've got this, you know, I can, I can do this. It's going to be a tough first round, but I can do it, you know. And instead we got the gate and he was slamming into the poles. They were hitting the ground and smacking me in the face. Right. <laughs> so, uh, it was a big awakening into like, okay, because I was, I'd spent my whole practice session just literally going around the posts. Right. Just, yeah, yeah. You know, like probably taking about 20 meters too far in the whole track. So um, it's just the whole, all part of the learning curve. Um, so that was my introduction to head to head mountain bike racing. And a week after, we drove from Italy down to the south of Spain to Sierra Nevada. And uh, same same thing again. It was downhill and then this uh, downhill World Cup and a uh, exhibition slalom race. And I ended up finishing second to Lopes at that race. Oh, so I, all of a sudden, um, the gates weren't sort of pinging off the ground or anything. It was all a bit more, uh, a bit more legit, I guess. And the track had a few jumps and things on it. And there was a jump I was doing that only a few guys were doing and whatever. And yeah, I got second. So that yeah, was good. That was cool. All of a sudden, it was like, oh, okay. You know, after that first week, it was like we've made the wrong decision here. And then that second week was like, okay, well, okay, we've, we've, we're back in the game sort of thing. So mm-hmm. that was really the end of um, of my first year of, uh, of, doing, of doing pro mountain bike, really. Yeah. And then so I guess, you know, the next couple of years, it was dual. Then I, I know dual, it was slalom, then it was dual eliminator, then it kind of went into four cross. So maybe, you know, take us through that a little bit. Yeah, so in uh, in '98 was the first year of, of having it as like a World Cup. Um, ended up finishing uh, fifth overall in that in that World Cup. Um, it was yeah, it was pretty awesome. Was some pretty of awesome the, tell us some of the names for the ones that might not know Scott. Some of the guys yeah. you were racing with. Pick a ticket, you know. It was it was Wade Boots. It was uh, uh, Brian Lopes, uh, Eric Carter, uh, Dave Cullinan, Mike King. Uh, men from Europe, it was like Mikel Morosi, Philip Polk, uh, who else? Cedric Gracia. Karim Amor. No one can forget Karim from those days. There was an uh, Australian guy on Giant who was pretty aggressive. Sean, Sean McCarroll. Yeah. Uh, well, the, the one of him and Will Longdon is still my favorite video when it pops up, you know? It comes up every sort of few months, doesn't it? So we'll share it or whatever. I don't yeah. know how many million views that thing's had, but, right. you know. <laughs> I can't, it's the funniest thing. I mean, you wouldn't want to be Sean McCarroll in that situation, but Will across the finish line, it's yeah. like, I'm, I'm not getting beaten here. Right. <laughs> Just boom. It's, it's great so, footage, great footage. Amazing. So, 
Um, but yeah, in that 98 year, I finished, I got second in the uh, dual World Cup. Um, Cedric won that race, I got second to him. Uh, I got second to Lopes in Cortina uh, in Italy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I had a couple of you know, strong results that year um, and sort of started to throw my name around in that sport a bit more. So um, uh, I think that was the year... Was it like, uh, I think that was the year that maybe I qualified fastest uh, one at Sierra Nevada. My mind's a little bit hazy on the years, so you have to bear with me on this, but I think it was 98, I, I qualified fastest at one of the races, and it, it was that moment that um, Lopes and Cullinan really approached me, and they were like, just asking me about BMX and where I'd come from and whatever, and you know, I got to know those guys, because they were, you know, we had BMX you know, um mm-hmm. As, as a common ground, and uh, yes, that was you know I'd sort of landed in mountain bike at that point. So yeah, '98 was uh, was a really strong year. I was doing downhill as well at the time. I was really sort of smitten with downhill. Um, you know, I was qualifying at most races. I was kind of sat, you know, in a sort of anywhere from 30th to 60th was my bracket out of like a couple of hundred riders. So mm-hmm. just qualifying. I mean, in the early days, I always remember like when Anne Carroll and Shawson was racing. It was like if you beat your son's time, you're doing, you're on it. You're on a good day. Um, and yeah, so I was, you know, sitting on the sort of like 40, 50 number plates all the time, that kind of thing on the overall ranking. So that was ticking along as well, but it was clear. Well, at the time you were just going for it. You were just trying to, you trying to get to the top of downhill as well. But looking back, it was pretty clear. I wasn't ever going to make it in downhill to the, to the top. You know, anything like I mean, I remember my first downhill race I ever went to. I mentioned this back in end of '95. Um, my parents bought me a, a hardtail uh, frame from Paul Edmondson. He's a world champion motorcycle enduro rider, and his dad's pretty famous in the UK for selling bits and bobs and whatever. Whatever he gets his hands on, he always has these kind of like car boot sales. And uh, uh, he has some mountain bike frames. So we're like, that's where this really started. And uh, I remember going to watch, uh, went to a race at Rivington. That was my first ever race, uh, the end of 95. And uh, uh, I, we were coming down this riverbed that was just full of rocks and whatever. And I was just sort of finding my way down it, inching down this, this hardtail two-inch front suspension mountain bike. And then I remember seeing Steve Pete come down there. <laughs> and to this day, I've never seen anyone go so quick on a mountain bike in my life. It was insane what I saw. So that was, you know that's what got me the bug in, in downhill and, and really got me sort of like, you know, hooked on it. And I was always trying to, to get there, but you know, that 30, I think my best ever result was like 27th in the world cup downhill. So, which is, it's cool, but uh, it doesn't mean really anything on, on paper per se, but you know, to me it was a good result. So, uh, but yeah, moving forward sort of 99, um, uh, I got, I feel like I got ninth in the, dual world cup overall um just you know those guys we just read off you know a list of names you know if, if you weren't absolutely on it you were going out first round mm-hmm. um it was so deep and uh yeah so ended up getting ninth overall that year it wasn't particularly great but it you know it was all right it's still top 10 it's it's cool you know the guys behind me are still big name guys you know so it was still okay but um it was this time we had the uh, the Ford Focus sponsorship as well. So again, we were still you know relatively young, and we were just given like brand new cars. And uh, again, 
working through why I'd left BMX, you know, we were given brand new Ford Focuses that had been tuned up by M Sports, which is the World Rally uh, team, the company World, World Rally for, uh, for Ford. And I remember the boss of Ford, I just said to him, you know, do we need to run these? My car had like 22 miles on the clock when I, when I picked it up. I just said to him, you know, do I need to run this engine in or anything like that? And he was just like, no, it was at Cheddar. It was at Cheddar Gorge. Um, we did this like team launch photo shoot thing. I said, do I need to run this engine? And he said, no, no, I want you to pull out a gate and I want to hear the engine, uh, the, the sort of rev limiter going in every gear down the road. And I was like 19 or God, whatever. I was just like, this is mental. <laughs> we're just yeah. being given cars. We've been told to wreck them. We did this photo shoot and we all stood on top of a roof. The roof caved in on this car. And it was just like a, a pretty hedonistic time, you know, again, working out why I'd switch from BMX to mountain bikes. Um, you know, Rob Warner shared this week a, a car hire story. Uh, him and Steve Pete. I don't know if you've seen that. That car. I did. Story. I watched that. Yeah, Steve Pete posted it, didn't he? Yeah, so funny. You know, and that that time was, you know, my travel buddy was Will Longdon. I was traveling over with Will. Right. Um, and uh, you know, we had one week in in Big Bear in '98, and we wrote off. Well, we, I was a passenger. Will Will wrote off like <laughs> two cars in one week. So I remember we had like a four by four thing, and it was like a rockery outside the giant guy's house, and he was like, oh. It's, it's uh, uh, Lewis King and, and those guys. And he just literally turned the car right. We just drove over this rockery at the front of their house and literally put a, a stone through the bottom of the engine. And, um, you know, this car was jammed in first gear or something. Yeah. And we drove from Big Bear back down to L.A. in first gear. <laughs> they picked up another, like, a, a pickup truck. They were just like, oh, shit, you know, sorry about that. We'll give you another car, no problem. Gave us a pickup truck, and then we... Uh, went back, did the race, came back down Sunday night after the race. I think our flight to Squaw Valley was like super early next day, so we were just pulling an all-nighter. We just stayed up. So we did like the highlights of LA, just Rodeo Drive and sort of Hollywood sign and whatever. And then uh, we just we were like five lanes of traffic or something, and, and Will, you know, three o'clock in the morning just went, Denny's, <laughs> he was hungry, and just pulled across five lanes of traffic, and this car completely totaled ours. And that was like four days after we'd just done one, you know, and it was just like these times, yeah, just just talking about these uh, these dates and these sort of memories I've got. It's just uh, crazy times, and that's why it was just so fresh and different to BMX for me. It just felt, you know, just like this is cool <laughs> to be a part of this crazy sport. And then it kind of went into forecross, didn't it, then, and it changed again. And, um, yeah, so maybe tell, tell us a little bit about that. Yes, yeah, so I guess um, going forward from there, like um, – 2003, uh, the sport of dual, um, the, the, the headline stories were being dominated by Karim Moore. It wasn't particularly who was winning. It was being dominated by the guys who were wiping everyone out. You know, Will Longdon's thing with Sean McCowell we just touched on. You know, Karim Moore just wiping out people left, right, and center. If you could just you – know, it doesn't matter where you were in the race. You just need to knock the other guy off, and you're going through to the next round. Yeah. And we all know that. That's the story, you know. And uh, so together with Eurosport and UCI, um, Forecross was dreamt up. I think Glenn Jacobs, the course designer, was was influential in that. I know Eric Carter had some opinions on it as well and, and helped this thing all move forward with his mountain cross and everything. And so, yeah, 2003, you know, Forecross um, really started coming around. We had our national series, certainly. Me and Will Longman built a, uh, a track at Apex Motocross in, in Worcester in the U.K., and that's where Chris Roberts ran his first 
four cross national. Um, so that was pretty cool. It's on some films out there and some videos and stuff. You know, you can look at on YouTube and whatever. So that was the first sort of real four cross national. And then yeah, again the uh, the sort of World Cups all fell into line at that point. Um, it was making you know really good TV. Uh, you'll remember those races. I've heard you talk about on these podcasts. You know, just you know flood lit. Big tracks on mountainsides, you know, those Leger worlds and Lavigno worlds, Lugano. Those tracks were just, you know, we weren't on the right bikes by any stretch of the imagination. And we were just hammering down these crazy rough tracks. And, uh, uh, yeah, it was good memories, definitely. Why do you think, because um, it was, I mean, and I, and I put that clip up that I saw from Alex Rankin um, posted yeah. the other day. And I, I messaged him. I'm like, can I borrow that? You know, I said, just perfect timing. I'm about to do a, a um, um, podcast with you. And I said, can, can I share that clip? And just that, the atmosphere, I think it was Vigo, right? That clip that I posted. Yeah, um, it was, yeah, yeah. And then just the atmosphere and just, you know, the few times I went to the Worlds and stuff and the World World Cups in Europe were just so big and um, the atmosphere was, was as big or better than any BMX Worlds I've ever been to. Some of them definitely more atmosphere. Um why 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 do you think that kind of changed you know at the end you know at least the end the, the end bit i remember anyway and we'll move a bit more into what's happening now um, yeah but you know the crowds was it the, the cost of putting on the track and uh was it because it was alongside a world cup and and, and obviously cross country so yeah maybe uh inform us a little bit on all the all that side of it because not a lot of people really know you know all of a sudden it was huge and then it kind of disappeared in a lot of people's eyes at least in the u.s you know we didn't see it as much yeah. i know you guys always carried on doing it yeah yeah uh it, it it's a it's a, a pretty big conversation so i'll, I'll try and make it as, as concise as i as i can but um you know you're right everything you just said is entirely right you now four cross was getting big and the atmosphere and the tracks were developing. The, the specialist riders were starting to emerge. So uh, Brian Lopes, Eric Carter, um, and then a bit later on, you know, Jared Graves, Michael Prokop. Um, these guys were focusing on four cross, and it was becoming its own sport. There's no doubt about it. Um, and uh, there's probably some some details that aren't for public consumption on this, and some that are. But you know the, the that story of you know the cost of tracks and that stuff is just a smokescreen. It's not the real story. I mean, if you take you know a bulldozer, one driver for three days, you can make a track. There's no you know just drive down a hill, put some soil in some shapes. You know it might not be the best track, but it doesn't cost an awful lot of money to build a track. I know when we started Forecast Pro Tour, we always had it in our head that as long as there's a start and a finish. It can be on grass, it can be on dirt, it can be on snow, it can be on tarmac. It doesn't matter. It's actually four crosses about four people racing against each other, which we always found that, you know, the crowds had an appetite for. They Cross-country went on for far too long. It's, you know, crowds do go, but it's your diehard mountain bike fans go and watch cross-country. Um, and those races are great. It's, it's fantastic, but it's not for public consumption. It's not for anyone who's not into mountain bikes. Downhill was great, but at that time it was very hard to uh, to cover the sport. The, you know, you can't get enough cameras on the track. And at that point, you know, even the cameras they put on the track are on the flat parts where you get most coverage from. So it wasn't great. But for cross, you needed a handful of cameras, and you could make it exciting because there was bumps and bangs and crashes and action, and and the, the general public could always understand it easy because there was a clear winner. That guy just won. 
that guy just got second. He's through to the next round. Very simple to understand. It wasn't about in downhill. You know, the eighth guy from the end has just done the fastest time. He ends up winning it. You know, you've got to remember back that that was the time and what you know. It's for very simple TV audiences. Forecast worked. Um, and so, you know, the sport was 2011. We had the, the World Championships in Champery. Um, <clears throat> I mentioned before, you know, Lugano, Lavinio, Leger, some iconic four-cross World Championship races um, where the crowds were as big as a downhill. And mm-hmm. um, the tracks were fantastic. The racing was unpredictable. Look at Eric Carter's pass. Oh, yeah. No, no one saw it coming. Mm-hmm. Uh, no one would predict the winners in any of these races. History, you know, at the time, people would have been very much like, you know, Brian Lopes is winning all these. Like at the moment, everyone's saying Thomas Slavic's winning all our forecast races. But when you look at the results, it's not the case. Um, and the reality is the racing was far more unpredictable than, than anyone gives it credit for. Um, so we went to uh, 2011 World Championship, Championships at Champery. Um, and... I was starting to gain a reputation, what a reputation, but a bit of standing as being the rider rep for UCI. It wasn't an official role, but I was talking to the guys at UCI and uh, giving them thoughts on the riders, that kind of thing, and just relaying the information. And we, funnily enough, Chris Roberts came to that meeting because obviously UCI knew he was doing a good job mm-hmm. uh, in the UK. And at that point, we'd, all, we'd set up the European forecast series at that point as well. So we had... A lot of, we were doing like 20, 25 races a year, all with our nationals, European and, uh, and forecast pro, uh, and World Cups at that point. So there was a lot going on. The sport was in a great place. And then all of a sudden, you know, a meeting at, at Champery, there was, there was just a bit of tension. And all of a sudden, some rumors started floating around that this was going to be cancelled. Um, and the World Cup was going to, was going to drop forecast. And, and we couldn't understand it because everything pointed towards the sport was actually in good place. Um, this wasn't a sport, or it should never be a sport judged on the amount of people entering. As long as there's you know, 32 riders, that's all you want. You don't actually want 64. You say you don't want over 100. It just takes a long time. You want this to be the punchy uh, promotional sport for mountain bikes. And... Um, yeah, so it, it, these rumours started, Champery happened, and that track was, again, a game-changer, and it also had roots and rocks, and, um, you know, the first corner wasn't great, the start wasn't great, but it was a game-changing track in the, the fact that we were putting four riders down, essentially, a mini downhill track. Um, and, uh, yeah, the following week, we had a European four-cross race in... Uh, uh, in Czech Republic, in a place called uh, uh, Pesh, P-E-C, it's, it's spelled that. Again, that's worth a, a Google for any of your listeners. That track was, there was a step-down jump at the end where we jumped into a, a half-pipe of, a, of a, a snowboard half-pipe, and that jump was like 50 feet and like 20-foot vertical. It was the most insane jump probably we've ever done to this point, but that's another story. But um, we were on the way to that race, and uh, the news dropped that the um, forecast had been dropped from the World Cup and we were as stunned as anyone even though there had been these couple of rumours them actually dropping it was uh, just seemed bonkers to me absolutely crazy and so you guys obviously didn't waste any time at all right and you guys just kind of you, you was kind of organised already but you guys just kind of 
branched off to the side and then continued to do it right again i was i wasn't really involved or all i really saw is what i read through everything you did you know so um yeah maybe tell us about you know when you guys did that so i arrived in in, in czech republic um chris was already calling me on the you know about two hours out from there and we, we're chatting and uh so we got there and uh, we immediately spoke to fort william um world cup organizers and they were just as, as blown away as we were. They they see forecasts as, as a, a, an integral part of their weekend. They're like, well, if we don't get, you know, forecast on Saturday, then we don't get as big a crowd coming for the whole weekend because we need this to be a weekend event. And people don't massively go and watch the downhill qualifying. So they were like, if we can put forecast on with it, it gives us a, a weekend event. And that was the, the story coming back to us from so many organizers. Not one of those organizers... Oh, at least to our faces, they weren't telling us it was down to cost. They weren't telling us it was down to uh, resource or um, anything, any of these, these stories that we'd heard. Um, and so we didn't have time to dig any deeper. We were just like, right, we want to run it. So straight away we were talking to UCI and saying we want to work, run the, uh, the World Series now. Um, they immediately clamped down on us and said we can't use the word world that's if you say world straight away uci are gonna sue us and whatever and it was like we can't do that so we came up with a name forecast pro tour and within i think by the time we got home from czech republic we had like six rounds like chomping at the bit like right we want to run a round of forecast pro tour 2012 um so it was a very easy initial starting point for us that the demand was there people wanted to do it people were confused people didn't see why this had happened um and so yeah so focus pro tour was born a couple of months after that we were summoned essentially to um uh, to brussels um to a, a conference room there where we met with the whole mountain bike commission for uci uh, so simon burney i'm sure you're familiar with yeah uh, along with uh, you know, a bunch of other guys and the president of UCI was there. Um, and we had to spell out the case. And it, actually, Forecross owes an awful lot to uh, to Holly, um, uh, my fiance, because back then she read the UCI book more or less inside out. And we pulled out of it their code of conduct and their, their um, declaration to cyclists, I think it was called, something like that. And it just said, you know, if there's a cycle event organized, then we will honor that cycle event by giving it a world championship, which is very much the scenario that Pump Tracks found itself in. You know, even though Pump Tracks being popular, because it's a cycle discipline, UCI are bound by their, their own uh, constitution to run a world championship for it. So we sort of presented this and I must admit I was, you know, my job is at that point was racing forecross obviously still is, but at that point, you know, my job was on the line. Um, several riders jobs were on the line and we just felt it was a case of, you know, not on our watch. Like this, this is not fair. This isn't right. Um, this sport is, anyone who comes to watch forecross loves it. Anyone who races a forecross loves it. There was no appetite for it to go away. So um, so we spelled it out to UCI, and I probably spelled out a bit too heavy, in all fairness, in that meeting, because I remember Chris sort of 
butting in a couple of times, and rightly so, stopping me because I got onto a, a train of thought and started laying out the facts in front of them. We had TV viewing figures for downhill versus four cross, which would to this day still open quite a few people's eyes. We had uh, information on uh, male and female entries for downhill versus four cross. We were going against downhill purely because that was our reference point. If we're going to if you're getting rid of four cross, but keeping with downhill, well, what do we have to go against? So we were using any data we could get our hands on to really spell out a case for four cross. And um, yeah, in the end, a bit, a bit of uh, jostling, and, and we were granted permission to use uh, to, to start four cross pro tour. The reason we were granted permission is because we we didn't have any money behind us or anything, and so we couldn't um, you know train up commissaires we couldn't get insurance so we were still reliant very much on national federations keeping four cross within their rule book so that commissaires could come along officiate the events make them legal therefore give us the federation's insurance and make these events happen so that was our commitment to uci and their commitment was they would carry on with a world championship for, for, for four cross so hence to this day we still have a uci four cross world championship which is you know, we're all very thankful for, and year on year still continues to be uh, as as action packed as they ever have been. Um, predicting a winner at four cross world championships to, to this day, you're a brave man because it's uh, <laughs> it's 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 not a simple task. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, what's the um, yeah? The, the obviously this year is kind of every sport as we everybody knows is kind of upside down at the moment. What's the plan for the future once we get you know hopefully back racing again hopefully maybe sometime this year at least um uh, for what 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 do you guys have planned for the future and yeah the sport i still see some big events uh the, the one in czech republic as you know uh seem like they still draw in a big crowd and uh it seems like a good healthy national series in the uk that you guys are doing right yeah that's right it's um uh, our first, I'll just, I'll just skim in the mid, the mid sort of ground there. So our first <clears throat> forecast pro tour took place in Hoofelies in Belgium at the uh, mountain bike cross country world cup. It was the first race where eliminator, um, had been involved. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's where Lopes won that eliminator race. If you remember back in, uh, yeah, in I think it lasts very long yeah. though. Did it that whole eliminator thing, right? A couple of years. No, it's, uh, Actually, I'll, I'll probably just tell. I mean, this, let's just say these are my thoughts. It's not official, but um, what happens with like the Olympics is that they need uh, they have a quota for athletes. I'm sure you're aware of all this. They, they can't have any more athletes added to the Olympics. So, right. what you see, what uh, IOC wanted at the Winter Olympics in Vancouver, um, the border cross had higher TV viewing figures than the downhill skiing. And IOC wanted a four-rider um, cycling event uh, that had big jumps and looked crazy and was fast and all this stuff in the Summer Olympics. And um, I'll let your listeners just add two and two together, but that was the time when four-cross was removed from uh, the World Cup and then cross-country eliminator was introduced immediately. Mm-hmm. Having cross-country eliminator introduced means that there's no more athletes required for the Olympic Games. So the cross-country riders could now do two disciplines. They could do cross-country and do eliminator. So it would give mountain bikes two uh, disciplines at the Olympics and it would tick a box via OCD and da 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 Somewhere from there, I haven't got the information, but 
Cross Country Eliminator clearly wasn't accepted because it just fizzled into into oblivion and it's gone. So uh, someone didn't like the look of it. It wasn't what they were asking for and whatever. So it's, um, like I said, it's, it's probably a whole podcast in itself just talking about the actual evolution of Forecross and, and how great it was, how fantastic it was going, and it was just dropped in an instant. Um, and like I say, your listeners can sort of add some of those dots together from what I've just said. Mm-hmm. But, you know, again, worse, it's just a bike race. Worst things happen at sea, and, and we live to continue and fight every day. So our Forecross Pro Tour started in 2012 at Hoofleys. Um, and has gone on ever since. We had go to venues all around the place. Um, I would say Forecast is probably its best shape it's ever been in right now, purely because some of the tracks that we have. I mean, you know, I'd love for you, for Brian Lopes, for Eric Carter, those guys to actually see the JBC track that Thomas Slavic has, has produced. It's everything everyone talks about Forecast should be is already in existence. It actually has happened. Um, we have a track in, in Poland as well um, that is just phenomenal. They've invested their whole sports budget for that entire town is in the forecast track. So permanent floodlights, huge 50-foot double jumps, you know, massive corners, completely uh, covered start areas. You know, the start area in Poland is like this huge wooden construction, this big hut, start hut thing. Um, there's like benches for a 1,000 people, trackside for spectators, like permanent bleachers. So, you know, the race in JBC attracts 14,000 um, spectators. That's the race in Czech Republic that Thomas Slavik organizes. It's famous for the wall ride uh, pass that Michael Morosi Yeah, Yes, I've seen that. It's amazing, yeah. It's yeah. unbelievable. So that track has developed more and more and more, and now it resembles more like a downhill track than anything. You know, I, you hear these stories all the time. You know, Forecast is just a, a BMX track. It, it's, it couldn't be further from the truth. I mean, you wouldn't get down... Any forecast pro tour track fast on a hardtail anymore. You need. Yeah, no, when I watch them, I always put myself in that position and I'm like, I can't. If it, if it had gone like this when I was doing it, I couldn't have done it. Yeah, you're totally right. <laughs> You'd have been fine. You'd have been fine. But it's, uh, it's certainly when people believe, and it's just for a lack of, I, I, I guess, a mountain bike crowd are, are, are like sheep, you know? So. The industry has gone down this enduro bike route. Um, you know, those bikes are thousands of pounds, and they just make a hell of a lot more profit than these smaller travel niche bikes. And, um, you know, I get it. I've got no problem with that whatsoever. But if we want to attract Ford and Coca-Cola and Red Bull and any of these huge companies to our sport, firstly, Forecross is the only way to go about it. And secondly, you know, like I say, I think the, the sport's in a place at the minute where it can actually sustain it, where the, the tracks, the, the, the vibe, the whole um, essence of the sport is in, is in a great place. And, the, you know, it's, it's looking like a, a packaged product now. Um, to mention that Thomas Slavic race, he developed JBC uh, Bike Park a few years ago. And like I say, it gets 14-odd thousand spectators. The party on the night time has the best DJs in Czech Republic come and play on a big outdoor stage for these party revelers he has like red bull air race planes go overhead for like the opening ceremony it's it's just a hell of an event it's like a serious you know he has like flames on the podium the whole nine yards you know there's not everything you you wish to see in bmx you know he's got going on at this forecast race and so i think you know you, you do hear these people sort of mention about forecast and whatever and it's like 
it's only because they haven't actually dug into it and so you know seen what's really going on with the whole sport at the moment so yeah it's exciting we have um thomas and thomas savage been these last couple of years has been instrumental in a lot of good things that are happening in forecross and he um at the end of this year um we're going to be racing in prague um on the streets of prague for like an urban forecross race that is going to be sponsored by red bull that's going to be our forecast pro tour season finals and um of course with coronavirus at the moment that's up in the air a little bit but uh finally i think forecast has uh reached a place that it always dreamt of and always sort of belonged in um it's it's going to be if we can get this season going it's going to be uh an incredible year but an incredible end to the year that will put forecast on a on a really uh different path and a, a, a bright future yeah absolutely and, and full credit to you as well like i say i look from afar and um you know when i'm in conversations with friends and stuff about forecast um i mean you really have kept that flag flying i mean every day you're you're, you know, you're hyping it, you're talking about it, you're promoting it. Um, I mean, damn, I mean, you're like the the Gary Ellis of Forecross, I would say. You know, you're the, you know, when I think of Forecross, I really do think of you. You know, so. Um, What's well, you know, the deal, though? It, I believe in the sport, and I always did. Mm. Um, as soon as it started, it was like this is this is seriously cool. This works. This is TV package. This is good for the riders. It's fun for spectators. You can sell beer. You can, I mean, in Fort William a few years ago, we were betting. Ladbrokes opened up betting on the forecross. So we, there's, you know, the whole sport demands its place, and um, it will have its day. You know, believe me, forecross will have its day. And there are going to be some bike companies who chase the dollar. You know, who are going to be looking at this, going, well, hang on a minute. You know, you know, I've got all the the, the greatest respect for all the riders doing these sports, but. When you line, you know, if you just place Joe Public in front of a TV screen and show them enduro, downhill, cross country, and then four cross, I think we all know exactly which one they're going to go for. Anyone who knows nothing about what's going on would choose four cross every time. And so I, I believe in it, not with a passion. I just believe it, it demands better than the cars it was dealt in those, mm-hmm. you know, sort of 2011s, 12s, 13 eras. Um, and I think. You know, I think some people just lost their, you know, their, their sort of way on what they were talking about with the whole sport. It's like, if you don't like it, cool, that's fine, whatever. But the reality is it's, it's still good. It's, it's great, you know, and it's, um, uh, there's several, you know, riders and teams and manufacturers who sort of bailed. Who, I, I just think it, it was uh, unjustified, really. Mm-hmm. And so... I'm here to, you know, to uh, to share the films, to tell people about it, um, and like I say, watch, you know, UCI is still as a UCI World Championship. You know, there's still uh, talks ongoing that UCI will, you know, do something one day more with it because, it, it, put it this way, a couple of years ago, I saw the TV viewing figures for the Forecast World Championships versus the Downhill World Championships, and you'd be surprised. Mm-hmm. So that's. Because it attracts a different audience. And the whole problem, I think, with BMX, with mountain bike, it ch- it's so intrinsic. It chases people in the sport. And it really doesn't take much to showcase a sport outside and say, hey, look at this. You need to show it to a few people and a few companies to show them, 
you know, what's going on and they're just, wow, they're not interested in the politics or what's going on or Olympics or should it have been, shouldn't it have been tracks, the cost of tracks, the cost of bike, they can't give a shit. It's fantastic entertainment and that's all they see. And so um, it hasn't been hard for me to sort of bang the drum about this because uh, I still love it. I still race it. I'm still at the sharp end of it and um, looking forward to many more years of it, you know, going to where it should have always been. Yeah, no, absolutely. Like I say, full credit to you for, 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 for yeah, for continuing to, to fly the flag. Like I say, it, they say it just might come round again. I'm not saying it's gone anywhere, but it could. Like I say, when, when I posted on Facebook, a couple of the you know, guys on my Facebook page you know, that run some of these local uh, mountain bike events, I'm like, well, would you, go, would you do it? One, the guy asked me, the guy that's up involved uh, up in Vale Lake here in Temecula, is like, well, would you do a four-cross race? Would you be there, Dale? I'm like, I actually would, you know? I, I, if there was the right class and the right group of people, and um, I, I thoroughly used to enjoy it. We used to race up there on a Saturday um, on a Saturday up in Fontana with EC, you know, just, it was great. Yeah, yeah. It was always, always fun and good, good racing and back home for dinner, you know? So, um, well, I just say, you know, Thomas Slavic at the start of this year, I didn't go to this race. It was in Mexico uh, in January. And I'll send you a link and you can link it out with this, uh, this podcast. Or whatever. Yeah, definitely. Um, he did this race in Mexico and, uh, it was live on Mexico TV, primetime TV, and it had over 35 million viewers live wow. in the live feed let alone following it up on the youtubes and whatever and so it, that tells you you know a tv audience to you know four cross isn't huge in mexico but the sport and what it show you know what you watch on tv it's, it's a channel hopper stopper essentially when you're flicking through your tv channels and you see these guys flying down this hill you know you stop and you watch it and it's um uh that race for me shows exactly where four cross is it's not about pink bike viewers it's not about um instagram likes or follow any of this sort of stuff that was so hyped on nowadays but you put this on tv as a package and it just it blows up mm-hmm. um and, and we've shown it time and time again and there's nervousness certainly from some parts of your you know the world organizations and, and the, 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 uh, the industry there's nervousness about you know Forecast could be something, but it, 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 you know they want to keep it below what they see as their blue ribbons, and so that's fine. Like I say, we carried on Forecast Pro Tour. We went to TV stations. We went to these tracks in towns where they invested in the sport, um, and we broke free, I guess, essentially. So yeah, it's been it's been refreshing. It's been a learning curve, and um, yeah, like I say, the whole sport's in a place at the minute where. Like I say, you look at the tracks, you look at the Forecast Pro Tour, the tracks we go to, the speed of the riders. I mean, you know, Thomas Slavic, Felix Beckman, these top guys in the sport right now, they are hauling ass as fast as any of the guys back in the day. And, um, yeah, the sport's just in a good place. Yeah, and, no, of course, I, I to bring this right to stage one, you know, your, one of your BMXs is the current world champion. He came to uh, Val de Sol last year, uh, Maya, and, uh, and won. And... Uh, Rightly so, he, fl- he just loved it, and he was again blown away. You can chat to him about it, but he was blown away by the size of the crowd, the whole feel of that sport, and um, everything that we experienced back in the day. He came into it about last year and experienced exactly the same stuff. Nothing changed. The whole sport still grabs you when you get involved in it. Yeah, like I say, I watched the little clips and stuff here and there. And the Slavic, I, I don't know him personally, but I obviously I know who he is, and I've follow, always followed him since he, he got into the four cross. I think he came from BMX, you know, like Prokop. 
Um, it seemed like it was a good vibe, good scene. You guys party after the race. All the stuff I liked about it when I I did it. For, I, I needed that little break from from BMX, and I always enjoyed the four cross. It was good, serious, hard racing. But then everybody would go down, you know, down into the the town and whatever, and have a beer. And I still see you guys still doing that, which is which is pretty cool to see. You know, seemed like a good well, culture of, lifestyle. Of, I'm getting a bit too old now, but uh, you know, most of those guys still go down. I'm only in early night now. I'm yeah, no, I, I feel that. <laughs> Something else, Scott, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about, because uh, I know you st- you're still racing BMX um, in the UK, yeah. and I, you've always been positive and um, a good role model for the kids coming up. Uh, I always, and I, know, I probably don't know why you're not, or involved more, is because you're still, you know, 100% with the full cross and mountain bike stuff, but uh, British cycling, coaching, I always thought that's the perfect kind of role for you, you know, like that national team stuff, you know? Thanks. Um... Uh, yeah, it's it's time. If I had a ten day week, I'd right. be, in, you know. So it's um, uh, I'd love to get involved a bit more. Um, I was uh, just a, you know, I know we're going on just a touch here, but just to backtrack a fraction, I went to um, uh, after leaving the sport in the nineties, late nineties, I went back to BMX in I think it was oh seven or oh eight. I did a, a national at Chesterfield. Um, and I, I hadn't raced in, you know, years plus and just fancied it. And, you know, we were looking at how to change my training a bit more for four cross. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's a challenge we all face. I mean, how the hell are we going to beat Brian Lopes? Yeah. How the hell beat Eric Carter? Mm-hmm. So I thought we'll do some BMX again, get that going again. And, um, uh, yeah, so did that race. I think I finished. I think I got second, maybe, or third in the elite men's. I, know, I remember the first most I raced against Bloomy, Marcus Bloomfield, the GB coach right now. And, um, you know, when I left for sport, I mean, I didn't really know who he was. I just knew he was fast at that time. I didn't know Marcus too well because I'd left, obviously, when he was, like, you know, a lot younger. And uh, um, ended up beating him in that first moto and sort of getting back involved. And it was, it was really cool. Um, but it was just timings. You know, the UK National Series used to – clash with um with all the forecast stuff we were doing um but in recent years i've been able to sort of juggle my calendar a bit more so in the last uh three or four years i've done like the world championships and stuff a couple of times um the uh, rotterdam world championships in 15 16 15 15 um in holland the indoor track the real small tight track mm-hmm. uh, i actually raced in masters in that in that race with uh when kelvin won right and um, I had, a, you know, my BMX, when I've come back to BMX in the last few years, I've, I've never put enough time into it particularly. So I went to that race, and I rode my bike a couple of times, but it wasn't enough for world championships. And I had Kelvin in the motos. Uh, I had Matt Polkamp in the motos, actually, as well. And I, right. I, I couldn't believe it. I, was, I, I finished second to Kelvin in all three motos and beat Matt Polkamp. I was just like... <laughs> That, that was enough. I was happy with that for the weekend. That was, that was plenty for me. But um, that was probably the BMX race in recent years. It got away from me. In the semi-final, um, I made the gate and was leading to the first corner. I had a Doris Brink and, and all those Masters guys. Um, and uh, it wasn't no, it wasn't year Kelvin won. He crashed in the last corner, didn't he? With um, Besserine, yeah. yeah. Brink. And the Danish guy won. Yeah. So I, I had him on the inside of me in that semi-final. I was ahead of him. I was I was leading the race. Drifted wide on the first corner. Doris got underneath me, and I got. It was the worst race of my life. I went from first to fifth in like fifteen seconds, oh. which was about what that time was there, and of course the finish. So 
that was what rekindled me. So the last couple of years, I've got involved a bit more. Um, I do every Wednesday up at the uh, British Cycling Track, the indoor track. And so I ride with like Cal Strickland and uh, uh, Andy Klukas and Dan Reedy and Oggy. Right. Uh, Sony who's flying now. So really got back into it. It's been helping like my training a lot more. Um, but as I got back involved in BMX, um, I actually uh, started talking to Grant White, who I know you're no. not the, the biggest fan of. No. But uh, got talking to Grant White, and I actually got Grant to do some of my training for a couple of years. And that was a massive insight to me into like what was currently going on with Liam and and the GB team and how they were how they were doing it, you know. And it was a uh, it was an interesting time for me where he was giving me this these tidbits of this is what you should be doing and these are the sort of, you know, you know, the strength work and the, the, the sprint work you should be doing. And it was a real eye opener for me. And from that moment on, I really fancied getting involved, mm-hmm. um, GBBMX program because, um, you know, like many things, you know, for all its faults and, and, and this and that, you know, I think the, the bunch of guys have got there at the moment, especially it's a, it's a great feeling up there. I mean, I go, I'm lucky enough to spend some time in Manchester when these guys are up there and whatever. And, they are. They've got a, a really cool thing going on, you know. Kai White, uh, Trey White, Quillen, uh, Kyle. It's a, it's a really cool scene, and, and Marcus has, has flourished and is you know taking up the reins from when Grant left. You know, Marcus is, is doing a really good job up there, and you can see it from the outside. You know, as he gains confidence, that that whole that whole uh, gang sort of knit together even more, and they just bounce off each other the whole time. So I like that. I like the mm-hmm. the scene that's going on there, and. Um, you know, I'm 41 now. I mean, I, I shouldn't still be racing, but obviously I'm still, you know, d- you know, doing my thing. And uh, I've, I've planned to race for another couple of years this year, next year. Um, and beyond that, who knows? But I would always, you know, not put myself on a billboard here, but I'd always listen to any uh, ideas or, or job offers or anything uh, along those lines. I, um, uh, I've raced since I was four years old. I've got history and all that stuff. Um, but now I've got more of a... A business head on me from the sponsorship stuff I do, the traveling I do, the training that I do, and the coaching that I've given. So yeah, I'm all ears. You know, I don't know what I'm going to do beyond racing, but to uh, put this 40 years of uh, experience by the time I finish. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just just talking to you, I've known you a long time. You've always been passionate, but you're just so passionate about what you do. What you know, I'll say most people our age, um, you know, get kind of you know, I, it's a lot of my friends involved still. You know, we're, we're tired. We're burn out from yeah. time to time and, and it's not always as exciting as and as thrilling as it has always been over the years and stuff. But with you, I mean, you just, just yeah, just, just let everybody listen to this. We'll see how passionate you are about it. And again, I, 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 I agree with you just from, again, I'm looking from afar. It seems like the British, um, me and Kelvin talked a little bit about it over Christmas as well. It seems like there's a good vibe now and uh, everything that you just kind of said. So it seems like the guys have got a, a good thing going and a good bunch of these young kids coming up. You know, I, I enjoy watching all of them, you know. Um, but like I say, I still think somebody like yourself would be, uh, you know, whether that's now or later down the road, would be a great asset um, with with everything you've got, you know, a role model. And, and like I say, you know, the whole sponsorship and all that side of it as well, you know, so um, managing, you know, not just being a racer, but all the other business side as well. So you really are a, a, a baggage of, of wealth for anybody that you share that with, you know, so um <laughs> Scott, yeah, so, what, uh, what what else do we need to? Anything else we want to hit on? If uh, if, if people want to, you know, check out all your stuff and all the pro tour stuff, what's uh, um, the best way to look at all your uh, information? 
Yep, so um, so all my stuff's dead simple. It's Beaumont Racing across all platforms, so B-E-A-U-M-O-N-T-R-A-C-I-N-G, or one word. Um, so that's uh, Facebook, Twitter, uh, Instagram, and YouTube. So that's all on, on all the same, and my website's BeaumontRacing.com. And Forecast Pro Tour is exactly the same. So uh, everything is forward slash Forecast Pro Tour, 4 x p r o t o u r, And that's the central website, ForecastProTour.com. Uh, I'll mention the British Forecast series as well, so British Forecast. Um, so, again, all platforms, forward slash British Forecast. Um, forecast spelled 4X. Um, and that's, yeah, probably covers it all just about, yeah. Yeah, I'd say we just kind of skimmed through everything. I know we could go into probably hours of, you know, you know I'd say <laughs> you've, been, you've been in the game a long time and, and continue to, to do good things. Um, definitely good chatting, Scott, and I'm sure we can hop on and, and, and do it again at some point, you know, like I say, it's uh, still enjoy, you know, following the what you do and Forecross and yeah, so you're one of my guys in England that, you know, I can see what's going on in, in BMX and Forecross, you know, to follow. So it's uh, it's cool that you're still out there busy doing it, you know. Cheers, yeah, it's just, um, I think, you know, my situation has been surround myself with sort of young guys, the sort of 18, 20, 22 year olds, both in Forecross and in, uh, in BMX. And um, and let them pull you along, basically. You know, you have to you sink or swim. And uh, so I still, this edge, I still enjoy, you know, I love going to JBC and jumping those 60-foot double jumps. I still love uh, a pump track session. I still love, uh, I heard with Nigel Page the other day, you know, just riding your bike or whatever it is. So BMX, getting back into some BMX has been great for me to uh, to be able to, you know, go off eight-meter start hills. You know, I go off the eight-meter at Manchester and, uh, all that stuff so it's uh yeah you just yeah you surround yourself with young people and uh, it's been uh it's been interesting the last few years right, as i try and push on into uh into old age and uh see if we can sort of still hang yeah like I say I, even though you say you're 41 i still seem as you as a lot younger than that like say you got to be one of the oldest guys to go down the 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 eight meter then right has anybody else over 41 been down there <laughs> I've no, I know Reedy's been down it. I don't know what, how old he was when he went down it. I guess he's older than me when he went down though. So yeah, there's a, there's a. I know Dylan was doing some great stuff up there um, and sort of track the recent track change, where loads of people were trying it. He was getting loads of young kids onto it and uh, tr- trying to develop that whole take away the uh, nervousness of the uh, the big eight meter hill. So <clears throat> I don't know. I, I, yeah, I mean I'm amongst the oldest definitely, but it was uh, fun times definitely. It was uh, it's. Yeah, until you've been down one, it's it's hard to explain what what the hell goes on in that thing. But it's uh, all hats off to when you see Kim and coming from Gate A on that thing. It's uh, it's quite phenomenal. Yeah, let's finish it off then. On we're talking about the big hill. Who's your? I know Olympics has got uh, postponed. I know you're a super fan. Whether it's Supercross, I even know when Supercross what race it is in motocross because you're. You're already talking about it, you know. You're putting bets on a couple hours before. I'm like, "Where's the Supercross?" Oh, it's Houston. Scott's already talking about it. But um, give us your uh, prediction then, uh, men and women. Let's finish with that. Men and the women uh, in Olympics top three. Uh, so in uh, in the women's, because it's been bumped on another year, I'm going to put Caroline Buchanan in there. Um, she knows how to do it, and. Uh, yeah, Laura Smolders, Caroline, uh, and I think Pahana will come back um, strong. She'll be ready for the Olympics, no doubt. Whether she can free people, God knows, I don't know. But um, So I'll put those as my three females. I'm not sure what order. I think the smart money says Smolders to win. Um, 
But, uh, you know, Elise is going to be there for sure. <laughs> it's hard to tell. I watch Elise race and, you know, these little tiny mistakes, but again, it's just a, another year to get that right, you know. So I'm, I'm, I think it's hard to imagine how big a stage the Olympics are. And you see Elise making these, these small mistakes here and there. She's clearly, I would say, probably the fastest, but I just, yeah, probably hard to pick between those four. But I, I'm going to throw Caroline in there, certainly as a wild card, because I think another year for her to come back is going to be, is going to be huge. Uh, men's. I would go, it's so hard to look past Kim and win. Mm-hmm. Uh, so hard to look past Kim and win because that guy is, he's, he's really, he's fascinating to watch. I've never seen so much power in my life. He's, uh, he's incredible. I think, you know, uh, David Graff, I like, um, Anthony Dean, but as a wild card, if anyone doesn't bet on Kai White doing something at the Olympics, you're mm-hmm. a lunatic. Yeah, absolutely. Guy, and I've been lucky enough, as we are in the UK, to see that guy more often than, than some of the guys who just follow World Cup. He he can really ride a bike. That's not there's no luck or anything. That, that is out and out superior skill to all the others he's up against. It's um the way he pumps and carries speed on a straight is absolutely unbelievable. So. If Kai if Kai White's in the final, look out because yeah, that kid, yeah. no doubt in my mind whatsoever. He hasn't got the horsepower to beat Kimmon, possibly at this stage, but he's got another year of, of BC, uh, you know, putting the power into him. So let's see. But the only thing that would work, you know, for Kimmon, I think, is the, the track's going to be so flat. It's a very different looking track. It's not got the same speed as some of the other tracks we've been familiar with. Certainly not with Rio, anyway. Let's say. So I think, you know, these out-and-out power guys and who can sustain power for what's looking like 50-second laps or whatever, is that's going to be the, the telltale. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's going to be, going to be interesting to see. And I was kind of bummed out. Obviously, it's not going to happen this year. But, um, yeah, you know, um, I think it's... Because uh, it's, it's still happening. That's yeah. the key to what it's looking at, isn't it? It's, yeah, yeah. It's it all cancelled gonna... in its current situation. Luckily, it's, uh, you know, it's going on by looking at it. So. Nice one. All right, Scott, great talking, and uh, thanks for doing that. I thoroughly enjoyed talking with you, and uh, we'll chat to everybody uh, next time. Cheers. Cheers, Dale. See you soon. Bye.